Hi, I'm the Space Quest Historian, but I listen to other podcasts as well. And you should all listen to Joe Mastriani doing the Upper Memory Block podcast because it is utterly fantastic and Joe is a very nice guy. So there, do it. Do it for Xenon. Do it for uh, whatever you find uh, really important. Do it! everyone and welcome to episode 80 of the upper memory block podcast i'm your host joe and uh well i guess not as usual but we're here once again with uh with a news show we haven't done one of these in a while i guess the whole summer because as i'm fond of pointing out my summer was ridiculously busy and uh i love making excuses for why i don't do things when i'm supposed to but uh i mentioned in the last news show i guess that i'm sort of mixing things up uh, a little bit in these new shows kind of doing them a little more off the cuff and uh this time I'm doing something completely different, and I think for I, I think for the first time ever on the show, I actually have a guest, <laughs> and uh, and and that guest is my good friend Brian Brian Demodulated from uh, the Square Waves FM podcast. Say hello, Brian. Hey there. How are you doing? I'm doing phenomenally well. How about you? I am great. I think I said before the call, I'm a little sweaty. Just got back from the gym, and my back hurts. <laughs> but TMI. Uh, yeah, well, what are you going to do? That that's that's this part of the show. The beginning part of the show is where I tell people more information than they require about my life. <laughs> TMI and then just enough information. Yeah, exactly. So, I I know most people who listen to the show or at least I hope most people who listen to the show know who you are and know about your wonderful show, but for those who don't, let us know a little bit about yourself. Okay, sure thing. Hey there, folks. Uh, as Joe said, I am uh, Brian Demodulated. You can catch me on Twitter at uh, Demodulated. And uh, I run a little podcast called Square Waves FM, which uh, is a podcast not entirely dissimilar from the phenomenal Upper Memory Block podcast, most certainly one of my favorite podcasts uh, that, that have ever been. Um, our podcast, uh, Square Waves FM, we talk about old and new technology, uh, video games, and uh, general dorkery and nerdery, that kind of stuff. Um, Joe has been our guest at least twice. Twice? Three times? I believe twice, yeah. Uh, twice and, and some voicemails way back in the beginning. Ah, so. very true. Yeah, so uh, uh, if you if you like this show, perhaps you might like uh, ours as well. Squarefm.demodulated.com Yes, wonderful show. It's definitely on my uh, my to-listen as soon as it comes out. Thank you, sir. Oh, it's it's amazing. And yeah, I remember right right when you started off, uh, you, you, hit, you hit me right in the feels with uh, you guys focused on, on BBSing. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm hoping that we can uh, talk some more about non-game stuff in future episodes as well. That, that stuff's all near and dear to my heart, too. Oh, yeah, because I've been trying, not really trying, but trying to find a way to incorporate, you know, BBS talk into into this show. But it, it becomes a bit challenging. I'm thinking, you know, oh, I'll do like a special on door games or, or something like that. But it, it's kind of tough because, you know, going doing the show the way I do, it would be challenging to do like... I think an entire show on like Legend of the Red Dragon or something like that. Perhaps there might not be enough depth to that. Yeah, so you know, we'll we'll figure it out or everyone can just go and 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 listen to uh the Square Waves shows on uh, on BBSing and all of them because yeah, you guys come up with some great topics and you get really in depth and talk about uh old stuff and new stuff and and yeah, whenever I listen to your show I get very excited and I always want to go home and play games right away. <laughs> so 
Well, thank you very much. And I have to admit, as, as big a fan as I am of uh, Upper Memory Block, I am a Fairweather fan because this will have been the first of your news episodes that I have listened to. So uh, I guess I'll have to uh, <laughs> wing it. Well, it's all good. Like I said, these are these are all about winging. And yeah, I've actually I'm actually glad that it worked out this way because. You know, I used to do the news kind of at the beginning of the show That's and right. people said, oh, you know, well, it's kind of in the way and it's not makes the stuff not evergreen. So I like putting these putting these off aside and we get to talk about some other stuff. So uh, I guess we should uh, we should get into things then. Well, let's give her. All right. So the the first thing we have to talk about is uh, so there was there was a PC Gamer article quite a, quite a while ago. Yeah, I think this is back at the end of August uh, about Star Citizen, which uh, which I've talked about quite a while and basically with uh, with Chris Roberts saying you know despite all the criticism and all that Star Citizen he says well is, is a game that's going to speak uh, for itself and you know since this article came out there's been a bit of brouhaha I guess in in the past week or so mm-hmm. that's uh popped up about Star Citizen in another article that was put out by the escapist right where basically I guess the uh the author of that article, whose name I can't recall right off the top of my head right now, you know, states that they have sources of people within Cloud Imperium games and talking about, you know, horrible working conditions and people being treated poorly and racism and sexism and, and horrible stuff like that. And um, in the wake of that article, Roberts um, replied and basically said, you know, a lot of that stuff is a lot of those accusations are baseless and their sources are a couple of old disgruntled employees who have bones to pick and things like that. But what what really caught me about it was that, uh, you know, within eight hours, Cloud Imperium and, and Chris Roberts put out this very lengthy, very detailed reply with, you know, diagrams and stuff and and whatever. So, so you know, I don't know. What, what do you think about the whole situation right yeah well the criticism i suppose is making an impact on uh, cloud imperium and on chris roberts personally as it seems having read some of these articles um i mean i'm a backer of the game uh not only am i a backer of this game but i backed star citizen for more than i backed any other kickstarted or crowdfunded game before i believe very strongly in the ability of chris roberts who has put together a series of games. Um, I don't know what his role was in the the uh, film adaptation of Wing Commander exactly, but he seems to me like a pretty capable project manager. And from what I've read of the fellow, it sounds like he's literally not taken a day off in like three years and that his mm-hmm. staff have ordered him to go to sleep because he'll just stay up like contiguously for, for dozens of hours. It's, Can you imagine that'd make a guy slightly irritable from time to time? I suppose so. I mean, it's it's doubtless the most ambitious project that he may ever be involved in, and it's under a lot of. It would be under a lot of scrutiny even if he hadn't made more than any other crowdfunding project of any kind ever. But um, he, they're kind of bringing it upon themselves as well because they are being very transparent about all this stuff. That they're doing, and I really quite appreciate that as a backer. Usually, if you back something on Kickstarter, you give them your money. They give you uh, some updates, which don't necessarily tell you very much, or more mm-hmm. often than not, tell you that the project is delayed for reasons unknown. We got another one of those later on. Yeah, we have, and that, that <laughs> one has a, a pretty legitimate reason, it seems to me. So you kind yeah. of rely on the understanding of your backers. So, 
personally, I have faith in Chris Roberts and his team. And as you say, or as he says, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they were, in fact, disgruntled employees or people that may not have fit in with the corporate culture. Or for all we know, maybe there is a toxicity in their culture, uh, and that's accurate. But uh, I, I mean, it's certainly possible. It's, it's tough because I guess Cloud Imperium, they really blew up. They have something, they have over 250 employees, I believe, across, you know, continents, continents yeah. and and all that. And, you know, in any, I guess, you know, even if I, I look over at, at, at my job, you know, we, we went through, you know, reorganizations and restructures and acquisition by a bigger company and, and, you know, things like that. And when there are major changes or, you know, large groups of employees that come in kind of in waves and the old hands kind of look on and, you know, disgust or, you know, something like that, then, uh, you know, it's it, it's hard to to always have a healthy, vibrant, reasonable corporate culture when you're growing, you know, exponentially. Certainly, absolutely. Yeah, well, probably I mean, more so when you when you call so much scrutiny upon yourself by revealing so many details about the tumultuous development of your game. Usually, with a AAA title, which might have the same or even less funding, you hear nothing until like a year before it's launched, and then you just hear whatever the marketing people permit. So right, you get some open. teaser trailer. and Yeah, they're being very open about it, which I guess people aren't used to seeing and are expecting it to be much more polished at every stage, I guess. Right, and I guess and I guess that's the, one of the challenging things. I actually can, sort of came up with, with a bit of an analogy, not really an analogy, but an example today, which if I don't say so myself, I thought was a bit clever. But <laughs> uh, I mean, really, because this is one of the biggest, you know, I think the biggest, like you said, biggest crowdfunded game i i think we are used to seeing games come out of you know crowdfunded games come out of indie studios you know smaller teams this and that i think what roberts is trying to do here for better or for worse is crowdfund a triple a game pretty well except that he's beholden to no one but himself which is that right. much more pressure but that much more freedom yeah exactly and i think you know we're not used to seeing development and and design of this magnitude being so open because yeah i mean even if if you go into you know episodes of of this show when i go into dev stories and stuff you know if if we had seen i don't know the development of of uh you know populace or something if that was like totally open people would be like what the hell is this this is like a grid and people walk around on it there's no game here this is stupid i want my money back <laughs> mm. so you know maybe that's a bad example because <laughs> No, no, you're, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, when you kind of find out how the sausage is made, sometimes something pretty doesn't exactly uh, get shown to you, you know? Yeah, the parts of it are, are gross and parts of it are not straightforward and, and parts of it have to be redone and people don't like that. They get a, a polished game at the end and say, oh, why don't you just make this? I'm like, well, it's not that easy. That's right. So uh, it's kind of cool how uh, Roberts is kind of acting as the martyr in this sense, because perhaps when all is said and done, hopefully we're going to have this wonderful game to play. And uh, it sounds like you'll be releasing it in phases. Um, and maybe people will be that much more appreciative and patient with games in general, knowing just how difficult and expensive uh, it is to create one of these gigantic behemoths. Yeah, I mean, if this works out, it'll definitely you know set a precedent for openness in, in development and, and in project size and, and all that stuff. So, you know, there's, there's a good opportunity here to change the change gaming, you know, change game development and change the way it's done. And, you know, I think when people do try and do big things like this, they, 
have to be ready for a lot of criticism because they're, you know, they're bucking the trend. That's absolutely true. I I don't know how many other studios are going to beg to follow in these exact footsteps if yeah. they're given the opportunity to be open about their development in the future. Yeah, and you know, I kind of I've, I I'm a backer too. I was a backer way back at the beginning and you know, they have my I think 65 bucks or or whatever and you know, I, I, for a while when all the new ship stuff was coming out, oh, this is super cool and I kind of thought about it but then I said, no, let me see what happens before I I sink any more money into a game that doesn't yet exist. Mm-hmm. And uh and we'll go from there. So yeah, that's that's Star Citizen and uh, I hope it comes out. <laughs> oh, I certainly hope so too. Have you tried any yeah. of the uh, alpha builds? I have, I have. Uh, it, not recently, but uh, probably around, probably around the same time that uh, that Elite Dangerous came out. I was trying them both, and obviously, you know, Elite was a little more polished because it was ready for release. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I have, I, I should probably jump back in. I just know. I think you said it yourself. Every time you pop open the updater, there's like you know, twenty gig, twenty new gigs of updates, or literally, yes. <laughs> yeah, which, 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 in in a way, is is a great sign. <laughs> yeah. They're doing stuff. A lot of assets that they put together. It's, it's very polished. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised when you see it. I mean, they're still working on the, some of the core mechanics and things like that, but what you'll see if you're like me, it's going to really blow you away. And I think there is, they're having like a, a sitcom or something in the next few weeks. That's right. I believe. Yeah. So, so hopefully we'll see some stuff there. I know, you know, the detractors are like they better have something to show aside from a tech demo at the sitcom and like, well, eh. it's true. I, I think that's true actually. And I, I don't think they would, they would call a conference if they didn't have something to show. I, my suspicions yeah. are that they'll have that first person shooter module in ship shape. Yeah. Cause that, the, the demo I saw that looked, looked pretty slick. I mean, I, I've had my, my doubts about, you know, can they make, a first person shooter and a space sim and a persistent world economy and you know, all this social stuff. Can they do this all in one shot? Ugh. I don't know if it's the way I'd have gone about it. Mm-hmm. Gone. Yeah. Gone about it, but that's what they're doing. You know, to me it's, it's kind of monolithic and not really the way things are done these days, but who knows? Who knows? Best of luck to them. They bit off a lot. Hope, yeah, hope exactly. All right. So rolling on, I guess, uh, let's go into something a little funnier. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I, I came across this and I, I feel like I had already reported on it, but I don't think I have. Apparently there is a new version of Wacky Wheels coming out. Mm -hmm. That's quite something. Did you play that back in the day? The only thing, so I never played it at home, but when I was, I guess from, I guess about 12 to 14 years old, I went to uh, a computer camp. Mm. So like a summer day camp where half the day we did programming and the other half of the day we you know played sports and went swimming and did canoeing and tennis and and stuff like that it was at uh john abbott college where i later went to sejep hmm. because i'm from quebec and we have a weird school system but uh and, and so what we did is because this was at a college uh there was a novel network a novel netware network and when we weren't moving the turtle around in logo writer <laughs> or uh learning basic we would uh we'd play wacky wheels on the land mm-hmm and so that's my experience with with Wacky Wheels, and it was a very fun experience, and it was probably the first experience I ever had with network multiplayer. That's like a sixteen multiplayer game or eight player, isn't it? Yeah, I'm trying to. Th- it must have. Been, it, I, it was at least eight for sure. That's amazing. Yeah, and it was it was crazy. Yeah, over the uh, the Novell Netware <laughs> network, and so it does look like the game has been delayed. I think it was supposed to come out almost exactly a year ago. 
because I see a blog post here from October 1st, 2014 saying that the game's not going to be released in October. And I don't see anything about a current release date. The game has been greenlit on Steam. Mm-hmm. And that was... Ooh, stop making sound. <laughs> stop. <laughs> oh. the, the, uh, the Steam page started playing music. Oh, I couldn't hear it. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> that's good, at least. But uh, yeah, it was posted April 20th, updated 8th of May. Uh, 16th of September, it looks like a new teaser came out. But there's, I can't see an actual release date, so I'm not quite sure when it's actually coming out. Perhaps they'll do an early access or something like that. I'm just taking a look at uh, wackywheelsracing.com, where they have some still and animated images. It looks pretty beautiful. It's like nice and yeah. high res and quite true to the look and feel of the original from what I can tell. Yeah, like it's still got the very cartoony kind of look to it, but yeah, very crisp and, and cool and whatever. I definitely like the the top picture here from so the thing that makes me pretty sure it's still going on is, you know, we have updates as of September 19th. You know, even if they're just screenshots and stuff there, there's people behind this. Right. So, right. Yeah. Like the tiger there. And it, I, I remember that guy. And yeah, it's kind of like, obviously it's like, it's like Scunny Kart, right? It's like a total ripoff of Mario Kart. Yes. But hey, Mario Kart was a lot of fun and, and so was this, so. Yeah, Mario Kart was what I was playing instead of this for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. Like to me, this and Scunny Kart were kind of like. They're like three peas in a pod. Yeah. So, it was, you know, I had, I had a, a Super Nintendo and, and I played the crap out of, out of Mario Kart and the other ones were just kind of like, oh yeah, that's fun. But I have Mario Kart upstairs, which is way better. And I get to be, you know, Yoshi. That's right. Instead of some generic bear. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so I mean, it, it looks cool. WackyWheelsRacing.com. Uh, hopefully we'll get, according to this, it's going to be out for PC, Mac, iOS, Android. Mm. So all the stuff. It'll be interesting to see how they do it on uh, on mobile. I wonder if they'll they'll have kind of touch controls or if it'll be the, you know, gravity stuff for you tilt. Yeah, accelerometer. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I love accelerometer racing games. I would love the idea. It's just you can't really turn or make as like rapid changes in your in your direction as you can with taps. Yeah, and I think also just there's there's probably some accelerometer lag in there as well. Yeah, it depends on your device. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. My I have a relatively new iPhone, but God knows. And I know you you go through you go through devices, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> a wide variety of Android devices. That I do. Well, we but shall yeah, see. So, I, I'm hoping that this will have internet. Uh, internet multiplayer i can't imagine they would release it without that oh no i mean i feel like it'd be interesting to see if they're doing it from scratch or if it's on unity or or whatever because i guess depending on if they're using a you know a pre-built engine there's probably already some net code in there oh very true my guess would be unity considering how many disparate platforms they're releasing on yeah that makes sense yeah something with like a common denominator at any rate yeah, and uh, it's it's the only it's the only relatively modern game engine I have even any passing familiarity with because one day I thought I was going to be cool and go through some of the uh, the Unity tutorials. Mm-hmm. I made the uh, I made the the, the 2D top down uh, shoot 'em up space game. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's farther than I got. I, I uh, got through the tutorials to familiarize myself with the UI, and I'm like, uh, nope. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's it's fun, and and if you have kind of a a familiarity with with C sharp or whatever, it makes it makes life easier as well. And I do that at work, so mm-hmm. 
kind of like, okay, I know how this works. I just don't, I just don't know how, exactly what the, the calls are in the libraries, but that stuff you kind of figure out as you, as you go along. But anyways, Wacky Wheels, check it out. WackyWheelsRacing.com. Hopefully it will come out soon or at least we'll get some announcement as to, uh, a release date or something like that. Or like you said, an early access on steam would be, would be fun too. Oh, looking forward to it. I'll give it a try. Mm-hmm. All right. And so next we have a, a cool article. This isn't really news so much as you know, about a product, but, uh, a while back rock paper shotgun, I guess this is on September 16th. Is that it? Come on load. Yes. September 16th. <laughs> yeah. So September 16th, rock paper shotgun put out this very, very cool article entitled how GOG.com save and restore classic video games. And this was like an incredible read to me. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it just a lot. To see, yeah, just to see the effort and the work that people go through, or the, you know, the guys at, at GOG, the guys and girls at GOG, go through just to you know to to get things running. But the most interesting part of this whole thing, I think, isn't even the technical aspect. It's chasing down the the rights. Oh yeah, yeah. They can't even get started without that. Yeah, so it's not even worth. So you know, if you go on GOG, they have kind of the wish list, and there's all these games that are at the top of the wish list. But but the big problem here is exactly that they have, like I guess IP. I don't know if they have lawyers on staff. I think they might even. But they have basically these people that just their whole job is to chase down IP, like chase the chase the rabbit trail of this company went out of business and the rights of thing were picked up by that company and then they moved to this weird holding company and they hold on to it, but. Yeah, it's just it's 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 crazy and yeah, it's like legal archaeology. Really, they change hands so many times. A teeny tiny little company gets bought out by a bigger one who sells it to someone else in some like hostile takeover or something. So, and yeah. once you find it, you have to negotiate with them and convince them that they'll make some money on it. That's why they should even get yeah, up out exactly, of their chair? Because I wonder, like, does I, it's been a while since I actually read the article. I'm trying to remember now. Like, does GOG actually throw money at people at certain points and said, "Oh, we'll give you this if you"? I, I I doubt it. You have to wonder. I mean, now that they've been in business for so many years, perhaps they have some clout like that. But it wouldn't surprise me if they kind of promised them a, a portion of the pro- proceeds or something like that on a consignment base, basis. Yeah, because it'd be interesting to see like what the what what the take is on GOG, like the. Uh, you know, the, the, the cash flow, the profit margins. Cause I guess GOG and project red are the same folks, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so they've got, uh, they've got Witcher money too. That's right. And I think that does very well for them. Oh, well, as far as I, you know, I haven't played Witcher three, nor have I, I, I actually haven't gotten into the Witcher games. I need to, I need to give, I have an issue with, uh, fantasy strategy you know strategy rpgs for some reason i feel like i should love them but i don't Mm -hmm. so like even games like Baldur's gate and stuff like i'll I'll play them i appreciate them but they're not my favorite type of game so i kind of have to force myself to play them yeah ditto but uh well yeah you should definitely definitely read this article there's good interview with uh i believe his name is martin Polish name that starts with P that I can't pronounce <laughs> because there's an N with an accent on it and a CZY in the middle. Paczynski right. probably. Something like that. Yeah, so there's a great interview with him and you know he goes into great detail about, you know, how they how they get these rights, the work they have to do to get stuff running, and they they work very, very, very closely with the DOSBox team mm-hmm. 
to get that stuff running. And they have like wrappers inside of wrappers inside of wrappers yeah. to get some of these Windows games going. And Oh, one aspect of this article that I enjoyed and didn't really appreciate, I guess, until I read about it was when they make decisions about whether to strip out copy protection or whether right. to preserve the experience by providing the answers to the copy protection and leaving it in the game. That's true because you know in some games the copy protection is is an integral part of of gameplay. Mm-hmm. That's right. Like for Ultima Seven, for example, which I bought on GOG, uh, the right near the beginning, I think at a few points in the game, someone will ask you trivia about the world to prove that you are someone that belongs inside of that world. And right. ordinarily, you'd have to leaf through the I don't know, it's like eighty page manual or something. I think there might be multiple manuals that might have an answer to those questions. But uh, not only does GOG give you scans of those manuals in full, which are also searchable, which makes it even nicer than the original. But they also yeah. give you a little text file that says, when someone asks you this question, this is the answer. And they kind of give yeah, you the a cheat sheet, basically. Yeah, that's nice of them. No, and that's really cool. And, and honestly, with regard to GOG, that's almost my favorite thing about getting games on GOG is not just that you get the game and you get, you know, whatever you need to play the game, but they put so much extra stuff in there. Absolutely. Like, especially for a lot of these games, you know, that came with, you know, amazing manuals and inserts and feelies and, and things like that. You know, they, they try, obviously, if there's like a little fuzzy thing inside the box, they're not going to even, they're not going to mail you the fuzzy thing. But, you know, they may say there may be a, a photo of it or some kind of like re- representation of, of it. Yeah, that's right. So I've, I've seen uh, original design documents from the programmers before the game even existed. I bought GOG games exclusively for the soundtracks, even if I own them on box already. Mm-hmm. And I've, yeah, I have bought more than once games from GOG that I already owned on floppy just cause it's so much, it's so, so effortless to get working on a modern machine. Yeah. And for me, it's always like my, I have my, my fun little thing where I, I'll get the game from GOG and then if I'm in a rush, I'll just get to play it. But if it is a game that, that uses MIDI, I, I do try as much as I can to go in and get it to work with my, uh, my MT32. Oh, right, right. And all that stuff. So there's still sometimes there's still a little bit of playing you can do. And but they do usually include almost everything. Like because I know a lot of the, uh, I think if you remember those those Sierra kind of box sets that came out in the 90s, like the Space Quest anthology. Oh yeah. And those things, those were actually quite stent trolls. If I got this wrong, I'm sorry. You can berate me later. <laughs> But, uh, you know, they were stripped down to a certain extent so that I think they didn't have like the setup stuff or, you know, like the. Oh, you're talking about those Activision compilations. Yeah. Yeah. Like the blue box or whatever. of Space Quest. One of my favorite things to do while playing with uh, uh, an old Sierra game in DOSBox is to try it out, try out the game using sound cards that I never owned that are emulated by DOSBox. And I was so disappointed that those were absent from the Space Quest anthology at the very least, that I actually emailed Activision and asked if there was a way to do it. They said no, so I said, that's disappointing. Would you be willing to give me a refund? And they said yes. It was like no. 10 bucks, and it would have been like 20 to mail it to them, but I, I had to give them credit for that at least. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's good customer service. You didn't you, you didn't get the experience you were expecting, so they, they gave you a refund. That's great. That's true. Or they gave you the opportunity to have a refund. Yeah, I do appreciate it. I never played it for that reason. I just have it sitting on my shelf. But uh, now I can at least do that stuff through the, the fine folks at GOG who uh, yes. care so deeply about all of that stuff. Though I do believe, actually, there is a, a fan update or something to that effect that actually will, will lay all those files back in. Right, which you could probably get at spacequest.net or something like that. Again, trolls tell us if we're wrong. <laughs> I'm sure he will. It's what he does best. Absolutely. 
But, uh, but yeah, so again, great article, very detailed, uh, of a good length actually for 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 an online you know article because mm-hmm. no one has any uh, what's the word attention span anymore. I have such a short attention span. I can't remember the word attention span. <laughs> Yeah, it was a good bit of journalism. A very enjoyable read, mm-hmm. especially for uh, your fans, no doubt. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, definitely give that a read. Uh, next, what do we got here? 13 years after release, Age of Mythology gets a new expansion. Did you ever play Age of Mythology? Not really. My wife loved it. My wife loved it so much that my uh, that her father, in response to the sounds that he would hear coming from her bedroom... He refers to all video games that she plays as "quote unquote" squishing peasants. <laughs> well, to a certain extent, he's probably he's not that right. I think he's probably right. How about you? Did you play this one? <laughs> no, not really. I was, I was into RTSs. I never got into kind of the Age of Empires group of RTSs. Me too. Like the the Age ofs. Like I was more a uh, Blizzard slash Westwood. Yeah, kind of RTS. Like I was big into Command and Conquer, and obviously, you know, like Warcraft and Starcraft, and and all those. And these ones kind of passed me by. I knew about Age of Empires and Age of Mythology, but I never really played them very much. So I guess with regard to Age of Mythology, it re-released a while ago on Steam. I think last year. I think so. Yeah, the HD version. Yeah, so they kind of HDified it. They put in all the existing. Uh, I was going to say DLC, the existing expansions. When did we start using that term versus expansions? It's a good question. <laughs> Obviously not in the time that I that I follow. Before, you know, you used to go and, and buy a disc and you put the disc in and you installed it and, you know, that was an expansion. Yeah, that's right. I guess so it's I approximately guess... around the time of Oblivion's infamous horse armor. Right. I don't even remember what yeah. they called it then, but that 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 was the, Stuff, the origin mods paid paid mods but i guess that these days paid mods has a very different connotation after steam's little debacle there yeah that's right but yeah so they're saying basically of uh, you know 13 years after the after the game came out an expansion called tale of the dragon is coming out that is based on chinese mythology i'm sorry the game came out 13 years ago and this is the first expansion released in over 10 years how strange presumably for the hd version they don't really specify in this article do they no, they don't. I think it would be interesting. This this article, I think maybe more information may have come out since this article on the 21st of September cuz uh October 2nd they did uh they did a live Twitch stream mm. of the game and it's still pre-release. Development is, you know, half done to a certain something like that. So so we're not looking for for it coming out very soon. But uh it'd be interesting to see yeah if if they have because really, I guess for the HD version versus the regular version, would they just have two sets of resources, or do you think they actually like made modifications to the core game engine? I don't know. I mean, I I own and have just barely played the HD version. My wife bought it for me, I think last uh, last uh, winter, hoping that we could play together. But uh, she slaughtered me, and I I got uh, crybaby-ish very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think they, I don't remember whether they created new assets for the new HD version or if they just zoomed it out more or, right. or both. Plus it's widescreen as well. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. Yeah. So if you're a fan, then, uh, you know, you got something to look forward to it. And it's interesting and it sets an interesting precedent of, you know, maybe we'll get, uh, I don't know, a new expansion for X-Wing or something. How cool would that be? Or <laughs> that would be amazing. a remake maybe. Fingers crossed. Oh God. I would die. I know. I'm drooling already. If they, 
Well, hey, who knows? Force Awakens is going to be there's X wings in that. Yeah, that's right. Oh, and the new Battlefield game. I think it's Battlefield. Yeah, the beta went live today. Actually. Oh, that's right. You going to play that? Uh, is available. I don't. I don't have a modern console. Oh, it's for P- uh, PC as well. I don't know whether. Oh, it's for PC as well. Yeah. Then, then I probably should. I need something to talk about on my on my other podcast where I talk about Star Wars. Oh, right. Well, that'll give you some fodder, I'm sure. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of feel like Star Wars games are kind of a good a good cross section between between Upper Memory Block and the Star Wars stack. Oh, sure. And there's no shortage of Star Wars games, as we discussed no, on Square Waves FM once on on two episodes, no less. Oh, that's right. We had so many we, we couldn't even squeeze them all in. We've got a good four hours worth of Star Wars games to talk about. And we scratched the surface as, as far as I remember. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, definitely to something to check out there. Mm. Next, something near and dear to my heart. Uh, the Red Baron prepares to fly again. So oh, yeah. there's a, a new, I guess, a second Red Baron Kickstarter that is coming out uh, from Damon Sly, who's the guy that did the original Red Baron. If you go way back to, I can't remember, like sub-episode 10 of this podcast. Yeah, Dynamics, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's he's the guy that did all you know Red Baron and then all the Aces of Star. <laughs> yeah, did he do A10 as well? I believe, did he? I think he may have. I think so. Same engine anyway. Yeah, so he is... Uh, so back in 2013, I believe it was, he he had one Kickstarter for, you know, the trying to bring back Red Baron. And I don't think I I'm a big Red Baron fan and I did not, I believe, actually give to that Kickstarter because it just didn't feel right. Because hmm. it's it, to me, it was he was trying to make kind of like it came across to me as like a multiplayer arena battle. Oh, right. Of just like, hey, I'm in a sop with camel and you're in a Fokker DR whatever, and we're gonna deathmatch. And I'm like, well, that's not what I want. That's not Red Baron. Like, mm-hmm. I want procedurally generated missions and you know stuff to take me through the war. And I want to be able to you know have a guy and have him get medals. And I'm a sucker for that stuff. Like, I'm a big sucker for having a guy and having him get awards. That's why like Wing Commander one was like my favorite was, was amazing. Cause you know, you do really well in a mission and you get a medal. Oh, get the medal's just like pinned right on you too. There's a whole animation yeah. and everything in a ceremony with fanfare. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm, I'm such a sucker for that oh, stuff yeah. and it, it's so dumb, but I love being rewarded and recognized. That's a game, right? That's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> it's my, my Pavlovian response. Absolutely. It's like, here's a cookie. Yay. <laughs> so I can understand why he would do that just cause AI is just such an incredibly hard problem to solve to make it not too good and not too bad and lifelike and believable and challenge yeah, so like, surmountable. Well, yeah, so it's like dump all that and just play against real people. Yeah, that's a pretty popular thing to do for people that just want to make an engine and then kind of profit from it. Or sometimes they do that just to fund uh, the AI programmers so that they can release a second game later on. That's yeah. That. So what he's doing this time is he's asking he's only asking for 50 grand cuz the first time around he tried to raise 250 for a full game this time he wants 50 grand to make basically a demo sort of mm-hmm. and using that demo he wants to create kind of, he wants to, it'll it, it'll probably fund either another it'll seed another kickstarter where he would try and fund the whole game or it'd be something he could, you know, if he wanted to take around to publishers and, you know, try and do it the old fashioned way. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I might, I might throw a couple of bucks at him. Maybe I will. It wasn't my favorite. The original wasn't my favorite 
uh, fl- combat flight sim. Mm-hmm. I, d- I guess what I loved about the original was it's really fun to pick other planes to pieces slowly with guns right. and not to have missiles or anything where you blink and it's over. It's very pure, right? You know, yeah. It's just like, it's very simple. It's yeah. It's like chivalrous and gallant even. It's like kind of old fashioned, very fair one-on-one dogfighting. Yeah. It's like, you know, you got one or two guns and, and a propeller and he's got, the other guy's got one or two guns and a propeller and you, you just go at it. You're jousting basically. Exactly. And, and a lot of it, that, that really is the way it is. You know, you do these kind of like runs at each other and that's right. Correct me if I'm wrong though. This was a pretty unforgiving game where you had like blackouts and redouts with the gravitational forces. And if you look into the sun, then it blinds you there. It was quite challenging. Yeah. If you had everything. So I'm trying to remember, I know, I spent most of my time with Aces of the Pacific. Those were so good, and Aces over Europe. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And I can't remember if Red Baron was the same way. I think Red Baron might have enforced you to have all of that realism turned on, whereas Aces let you toggle them few by few. Yeah, so I, I would... My my big thing was was unlimited ammo. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it, was, it was really hard. If you, if, you start, if you ran out of ammo. Once you ran out of ammo, you were basically screwed. Of course. You couldn't do anything. Of course. So, yeah, I can't remember if Red Baron forced you into it or if there were less options. But, yeah, I mean, as as the game that kind of started that, you know, it was like the, the one that started off, the kicked off the engine and all that, it's important. The later ones are probably higher rated in my book. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but no, I mean, it, it's really cool. And I always... You know, they struck a, a good balance, especially at the time that I played them. They struck a very good ba- balance between, you know, arcade easiness and fun and also some degree of realism. So it, it, it was realistic, but to a point like landing was greatly simplified and, and all that stuff, because mm-hmm. that's just the most frustrating thing. You complete a mission perfectly and then you botch the landing and you're dead. That's right. And it's not like there's a quick save in a simulator. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, I, I didn't mind that that part of it. And then as time went on and I joined the Air Cadets and I got my my private pilot license, then I, I gravitated more towards like Microsoft Flight Sim and stuff because I said, oh, now I know how to do this properly. And those those were, were fairly good. But yeah, these games were definitely more about fun with, you know, a peppering of, of realism to make it a bit more challenging. Yeah, that's right. So it was a tough uh, balance to get just perfect. And uh, I wish uh, I wish him the best of luck. Yeah, absolutely. So we will... We will definitely look at it. I'm sorry, I just saw I, I just saw the, the word Mech Warrior in the uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the article. So did he work on Mech Warrior? No, he did. Anyways, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> we could talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Actually, well, we do have some Mech Warrior stuff today. Yeah. Oh, in fact, it's next. It <laughs> so we have another Kickstarter, uh, which is very near and dear to my heart, very much so, uh, for a new BattleTech game, and it is by none other than none other than uh, than Hairbrain Schemes LLC, which are the guys that brought us uh, Shadowrun Returns, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yes, a very successful Kickstarter campaign, right? And one that's mm-hmm. delivered like on time and on budget. Like yeah, they delivered on time, on budget. They delivered, I believe, an expansion. Uh, two expansions, I think. Yeah. So very capable, very, team. very pleased. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, real battle tech is, is sort of very much in, in the same vein as shadow run. Is it? I haven't really played either. So, oh, I guess shadow run is more of a cyberpunk tabletop RPG. Mm-hmm. Whereas battle tech, yeah, this is more t- 
tactical combat, strategic combat, like hex based. It is. Hex-based. I played some. Ba- I guess I did. Yeah, play it's hex based. Yeah. Oh, I play. I played. Uh, I played some tabletop battle tech when I actually I started playing it at that computer camp I was talking about. Hmm. But it, surprisingly, I actually started. I'm trying to think. I started playing BattleTech after I played MechWarrior 2. Okay, so it already whet your appetite for that. Yeah. Universe. I mean, big robots, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you grow up on Transformers. You got a thing for big robots. Of course. But I got I got very heavy into uh, into the BattleTech universe. Like I've I have I think a good twenty of the uh, the BattleTech universe novels and. Hmm. I have all kinds of game source books. So I have Battletech and City Tech, which are kind of the Battletech was kind of the base tabletop game, and City Tech was the kind of more advanced game. And in City Tech, there was more like uh, there were urban maps, there was infantry, uh, you know, more stuff like that. So just more complexity. Hmm. And so basically, what these guys are trying to do is make a game that is reminiscent, not so much a simulation that is reminiscent of something like MechWarrior, but more coming back to the tabletop. So they have actually the, uh, I'm not sure if it was the original designer or one of the original designers of the tabletop game on this project and a few of the designers who worked on Mech Commander. Oh, Jordan Weissman, the creator of Battletech and MechWarrior is what it says in the Kickstarter. Yeah, so that's the guy. Hmm. And yeah, so, and actually there was, so yeah, Battletech was the thing that came out first and that was the more, that was the tabletop, you know, combat game. And then later on they came out with another thing called Mech Warrior, which was basically an RPG component that you could meld in. So you could have your Mech Warrior that had stats and skills and, and all that stuff. And you could play him in the Battletech universe. And then once you actually got into Mech Combat, you would flip over to the other side of the table and play Battletech with your maps. Mm. So it was kind of this really cool, very complete kind of play system if you wanted to kind of encompass the whole thing. If you wanted to do some role playing plus, you know, the combat stuff, you could do that. So yeah, this is cool. This is, I guess, and if you go back and listen to the MechWarrior 2 show I give, you can tell how much of a Battletech nerd I am because I, I give a quick rundown of the entire freaking history of the inner sphere <laughs> Up, up to the beginning of the clan invasion. So this is in 3025. So this is kind of before all that stuff with the clans happens. So this is kind of the uh, the different noble houses of the inner sphere fighting each other in succession wars to see who can, you know, get control of the most stuff and who can become first lord of the Star League and all this. I mean, God, I could talk about this all day. Oh, the clans <laughs> were a central theme of one of the MechWarrior games, weren't they? Yeah, so MechWarrior... Two, I actually now didn't play a lot of the ones before that. Crescent Hawks Revenge and Crescent Hawks Return or something like that. MechWarrior 2 was really my first one. Me too. And MechWarrior 2 focused on the clan invasion. You actually played as either Clan Jade Falcon or Clan Wolf. Ah. And so you had you were in the superior mechs, because that's the whole thing. So the clans are actually the old Star League Defense Force that went away and they became this weird martial clan-based crazy society. And the rest of the inner sphere that they left behind, which is kind of like, you know, Earth and the surrounding star systems, they fell into basically a dark age. So all the technology kind of regressed and they became kind of this whole feudal kingdom kind of a thing. Hmm. And basically the clans come back and, you know, they've been progressing and the inner sphere has been regressing. So the clans come in and basically cut this huge swath through the inner sphere because they had, they're awesome 
and everyone else has this old stuff that they've been maintaining and just patching because they don't know how to make new battle mechs. Oh, neat. Yeah, so it's actually, it's it's a very cool world. And unfortunately, I think quite a few of the books are now out of print. Mm. But, uh, you know, it, and I think it's a lot like, you know, a lot like the, the Star Wars expanded universe. There's there's hits and misses. Some books are better than others. But it does when they and they but they all do work together. And so it does. If you put the time into learning about it, create this very, very rich world, very, very rich tapestry. And if you do want to know about that, uh, just Google the Battletech wiki. And there's there's so much information there about all this stuff. And it's all pretty well written. <laughs> Well, yeah, so we got, uh, yeah, Jordan Weissman, creator of Battletech and MechWarrior, Mike McCain, who's the, the harebrained schemes guy who did Shadowruns, and Mitch Geitelman, Gittleman, who's, uh, who produced Mech Commander. And Mech Commander I really enjoyed as well, at least the first one. I can't quite remember if I love the rest of them. but That was the hex-based one, wasn't it? Or were there, was there yeah, that one? was kind of, it was more of like a, tact, it was like a tactical RTS game. Was it RTS or was it turn-based? No, no, it was real-time. Okay, maybe I didn't play it. Or at least I'm trying. I, I remember it as being real time, but maybe it wasn't. Okay. But yeah, no, those those were a lot of fun. I didn't love them as much as I love Mech Warrior because God, who who doesn't love you know walking around in a hundred ton big hulking walker mm-hmm. with guns all over it? <laughs> but uh, you know they funded. They were only asking. Well, they were asking for two hundred fifty grand, which which is not insubstantial. Mm-hmm. But they are currently at one million five hundred eighty seven thousand eight hundred eighty eight dollars US. And they're so. like five days in. Yeah, yeah, they say yeah, they made over a million dollars, which is four times what they were asking in the first 24 hours. Yeah, and I guess this, I, I'm pretty sure this is also some a, a Kickstarter strategy. Mm. You know, you kind of give yourself a, a surmountable goal, right? So you know, they, they probably figured based on, especially because these guys have done you know successful Kickstarters, they probably knew about how much they'd be able to make. Uh, could be Peter Molyneux is uh, on record as denouncing the practice. No, he was actually the one, he was denounced for intentionally asking for less money than you need to successfully complete the project on Kickstarter just to right. increase your chances of being successfully funded and getting something. Because on Kickstarter, if you don't meet your goal, then nobody pays anything. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, right. So, you know, if these guys say they needed a million dollars and they said, well, let's pledge 250 and, you know, we'll get there and we'll figure out the rest. Right. So maybe that's maybe that's the kind of strategy they were doing. But at least in their defense, as far as Kickstarter campaigns go, this is an extremely descriptive, like voluminous, very well put together front page. Yes. It's like very inviting and they seem really professional and uh, they they're not shy to uh, talk about their own successes as well. So it seems like a pretty safe bet to me. Yeah, and I think, and the good thing about this is that, you know, this isn't their first rodeo, so I think people have some, you know, they've delivered successful games that are very good Mm -hmm. based on Kickstarters, so I think people are a little more, uh, you know, they have a bit more faith in this, and again, like, this this battle of, like, oh, God, there's an Atlas here, and a Catapult, oh. Oh, they've got you. (laughs) I love, well, I mean, it's me, it's it's Battletech, like, but it's just, like, the important thing to me, and again, just because I'm a huge Battletech nerd, is that They've got the guys, you know, they got the guy here. They're taking into account the world. You know, they have all the houses, they have the right sigils and it's, it, they're not mucking around. Like it's, it's proper. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. So they're respectful of the, the lore. Yeah. And, and that's a very important part of Battletech mm. because a, a lot of it, yes, it's all about mechs blowing each other up and everything, but there's a lot of 
political intrigue with, you know, the noble houses and the families that are in charge of them. And, and it's just, and, and each, each kind of house and each, you know, I can't remember exactly what they're called, but basically each small little city state kingdom thing in the inner sphere has its own culture. Like the Draconis combine is very like feudal Japan. And, and, you know, they basically explain that because they say, well, people went out from earth and earth, earth is a thing and earth exists, but it's, it's, kind of semi abandoned and it's been taken over by, uh, by this, this organization called Comstar and Comstar is actually kind of like the, uh, the phone company of the inner sphere. <laughs> they control these things called HPGs, which are hyper pulse generators. And that's how they, uh, they provide faster than light communications, but they control it. And Comstar has become this really weird insular, insular pseudo religious organization. So they turn the earth into like a telegraph relay. Yeah, basically like a semaphore <laughs> flag. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, and Comstar, they kind of uh, they became kind of the self-proclaimed uh, defenders or keepers of technology. So yeah, it's all very cool. I mean, like I said, I could talk about this forever. I should probably do a BattleTech podcast. <laughs> oh, please do. And oh, another cool thing, and and then we'll we'll get on to the next thing because I'm I'm dragging. But uh, you know, as they get into these different reward tiers. Uh, you actually get access to some uh, some novellas that are written by uh, by Michael A. Stackpole, mm-hmm. who, if you're a fan of BattleTech writing, if you're a fan of Star Wars Expanded Universe and other sci-fi in general, Mike Stackpole is a very accomplished, very amazing author. Uh, he's the author of some of my favorite Star Wars Expanded Universe books, the uh, the X-wing series. Hmm. Which is all about, you know, all these expanded universe stories about Wedge Antilles and Rogue Squadron and all that. And they are by far some of my favorite Star Wars books. So to get some new writing from him in the Battletech universe, he did kind of some of the seminal Battletech books. So uh, it'll be great to get some new writing from him, too. Oh, that's great. Hopefully, Mm -hmm. hopefully they'll uh, release that stuff before the game is launched. I hate when like that's exactly the kind of stuff you want to to whet your appetite in preparation for the big show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I hope, yeah, it does. It's not kind of like, oh yeah, you're going to get everything in three years when the game actually comes right. out. Right. Yeah. So that's that. Check it out. If you like Battletech, if you liked Mech Warrior, if you liked Mech Commander, if you like those uh, PlayStation Mech games that I can't remember, Mech Assault was it or something like that? Uh, oh, are you thinking of the crazy one with like the incredible controller? Well, there is that one. Battle something. I can't remember what it's called now. Yeah, there's that. But there were actually some full-on Battletech games that were a little more kind of run-and-gun arcade on uh, on consoles, uh, okay. too. okay. Not familiar. But, hey, if you, yeah, anything. If you like Battletech, if you like the, the fairly awful animated show that lasted for one season, <laughs> which you can find for free on YouTube, I'm a sucker. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. It's really bad. <laughs> like, it makes Transformers look good. But it, I don't know. Big robots again. And there's, there's uh, computer graphics in it. So Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Enough of that. I'm going to, cause I could keep talking about this forever. So next we have, uh, some Larry news. Uh, so we have, a. Uh, I guess this is a fan project mm-hmm. called, uh, Leisure Suit Larry in the Land of the Lounge Lizards, AGI. Mm-hmm. And so this is basically an adventure game remake. So this is a rebuild of the original game, but, uh, in, in the look, in the AGI look, it's not kind of a, of an SCI remake or anything like that. It's the old original game. But with, uh, I guess we can call it quality of life improvements. Sure. So basically, it's like a point and click AGI game. That's fantastic. Yeah, it looks really cool. It's being done by I think one guy. 
uh, a guy named Arjun Van Dam, and I'm sure uh, our friends who are very active in the uh, the AGS community probably know about this a little more than we do. Apparently, this guy also did a fan based adventure or uh, in Futurama or about Futurama. Oh yeah, I don't know if it was a playable demo or just a little teaser kind of a thing. I don't think he got much into it, but it looked incredible. Hmm. So this basically, it looks like he's kind of taken, it's almost, according to this this article, almost a one-to-one kind of remake of, of the game, but with, uh, did he remove the parser completely? I believe he did. Yeah, one of the screenshots here shows a mouse cursor hovering over kind of a LucasArts style, like dialogue tree kind of a thing, multiple choice. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of a, an interesting take on, 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 the, uh, on the genre, because I know some people like... I myself and I know a lot of a lot of our friends are, you know, AGI purists and they say, oh, well, you know, parser is the only way to go and and whatever. I think yeah. because for me, my first adventure games were SCI. I think my first one was probably Space Quest Four. Mm. To me, that's kind of like my primordial adventure game. And I can appreciate the parser, but I find it more frustrating than anything. Yeah, most people would nowadays, I think. Yeah, especially just trying to figure it out and, you know, what do they want me to type? And as time went on, the parsers got better, but... Well, I mean, this if you want a, a parser, a text parser version of this game, there's, like, no shortage of places to buy it anyway, so... Yeah, exactly. It's, if this opens it up to new audiences with a new control scheme, but with everything else as the original uh, look and feel, then I think that's phenomenal. Yeah, because there, there is something about the AGI kind of look and feel that is nice. It, and I always... I'm, I'm always very impressed with what they were able to do with you know this super low resolution super low color palette and you know make everything have a look mm-hmm. so i really enjoyed it and frankly to be perfectly honest i i did not enjoy the uh recent larry remake yeah me neither you know drama drama aside <laughs> that surrounded that whole thing i didn't find it a particularly great game it had its moments but it didn't feel like the original Leisure Suit Larry to me, which is honestly what I just wanted in a, a prettier form. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. I think there's a Facebook link for this whole contraption. Seems and uh, And, yeah, so I'll, I'll link that and we can go check out what's going on. And uh, Oh, terrific. Now, I don't know if it's, if it's the same guy. I suspect not. But somebody many years ago made an Adventure Game Studio remake of Leisure Suit Larry 2 doing just about the same thing, t- changing a previously text parser and keyboard-only game into a mouse point-and-click uh, game. And it's oh, very fully cool. playable from the beginning to end. And it's very much like this one, where they think they took away all the opportunities to die, or if you die, then it resets you to immediately before so that you don't have to replay a huge amount of it it's very very well polished it's done exceptionally well and i do believe Allo himself complimented this fan on this one one man project so this looks pretty similar cool yeah and i guess uh, yeah that's the other big thing about about this one is yeah they do say that they took out i guess most of the no win scenarios and there's no you don't have to save every three seconds because if you die you just roll back to right before you were going to die and you could do the other thing you could do the the thing you didn't do that's right. I believe they also mentioned that Allo was aware of this project and gave it his his nod. Cool. Which is good. Although he is not the owner of the uh, intellectual property, so this could, if we're very unlucky, be one of those examples of an incredibly ravenous, amazingly enthusiastic fan doing something wonderful for the good of the community, and it gets pulled Having on it, launch yeah. day. So fingers crossed for this guy, because he's doing a great job from what I can see. 
Yeah, I guess we'll see. So yeah, this goes back to that GOG article. I assume that technically everything's it's still owned by Activision, and I guess they gave Replay rights to do a game. Or does Replay actually own the rights? I'm not sure. I know that Replay had kind of tentatively expressed interest in uh, remaking, quote-unquote, all of the games kind of in succession. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen anymore, but I can't imagine. No, I would... think if it's going to happen now, it would come out through you know, Sierra. Oh, that's a good point, too. Well, I don't know if Sierra owns the rights, though, or if it's... Yeah, that's that's what I'm wondering, is who, who actually has the rights to Larry, because I know that those ones in particular were kind of like nebulous and around and yeah that's why stuff has been happening with them that's right well i'm glad we live in such interesting times we shall see absolutely all right next we got a, a quick little one here so how do we say this arma i'm a crog i believe <laughs> yeah Armacrog has come out and so this is the game that is i guess the, the spiritual successor or is it a direct sequel i'm not sure to the neverhood spiritual successor i think mm. very similar art style if nothing else yeah Gameplay same style. same look and feel so, did you play the Neverhood? Oh, did I ever? What a master! See, I so I've never, I've never played the Neverhood. I know, I know, Akago's a big fan of it, so you've played it. So, unfortunately, this one doesn't seem to be reviewing too well. It's really getting panned. Yes. Yeah. So that's unfortunate. Oh, you didn't back this one? No. Yeah, I, I backed this one just because I had such phenomenally fond memories of Neverhood. Uh, I've heard it referred to as like a mist alike, where you kind of wander around. And you'll solve some kind of arbitrary environmental puzzle before unlocking the next little bit of the story or the next environment or what have you. Uh, and it's sort of like pl- play doughy in, in in look, right? Yeah. Oh well, Neverhood was made with I forget how many tons of clay. It's like entirely okay. claymation. And this one, it 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 does that to some extent, but some of it is obviously just kind of computer generated. I'm only about a half an hour in, and. Okay. Even though I backed the whole thing, uh, I, from what I've read, I'm kind of not all that enthusiastic about jumping right into it. I'll get there, I guess. Right. So what you've played, have you enjoyed it, or does it at least give you kind of a, the same feel of playing the Neverhood? Very or? much the same feel. Um, it's sort of, it controls a lot like a point-and-click adventure game. I mean, you point and you click, and you walk your, your guy around. There's two protagonists now instead of the usual one. Uh, some Some dude and his dog is as much as I remember. I haven't mm-hmm. played it for a week or so now. Um, and you just click around and there are weird symbols all over, which you should write down because you'll probably have to uh, draw it or refer to it again later on. It's very, very similar to the Neverhood. So I'm not entirely sure what it is about this one that's so much poorer than the Neverhood, or maybe just this genre has not aged as well as it ought to. But uh, And I've also been told that the beginning of the game, the first like 10 minutes, are just absolutely beautiful and magical and wonderful, and it's kind of downhill from there. So having played not too much further than that, I would agree that the intro is extremely beautiful, claymation, animation. It's the same animator, t- uh, Doug Tenaple is his name, that did uh, Earthworm Jim, which is one of the best okay. animated games that you're going to find. That's like Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's like traditional like uh, pen and paper kind of animation where it's this is super smooth super great yeah and yeah i'm actually i'm on the steam page right now and i'm looking at the video and it it does look really cool it sure does it sure does so hopefully that's enough charm to kind of keep it uh engaging throughout because it sounds like the gameplay itself is pretty hit and miss yeah and i'm over on so you can you can definitely get it on steam for (laughs) it's nice that steam does local currencies now but now it's kind of useless for me to tell anyone how much anything costs it is 27.99 canadian Mm. So whatever that means to you. <laughs> That's right. 
Thank goodness for I'm that too. I bet it would be an extra ten bucks if we still had to pay in USD. Oh yeah, well the exchange rates are so horrible right now. Sure are. That uh, I'm assuming it's twenty five bucks US, kind of a thing. Yeah, probably thereabouts. Twenty twenty five, kind of a thing. But yeah, so you can you can get it right now if if you have fond memories of the Neverhood, then uh, and you don't mind a game playing a game that has mixed reviews. Then uh, yeah, that's where you can grab it. That's right. Oh, I will mention for fans of the uh, Neverhood that it's the same musician. I can't remember his name. Terry Taylor, I think was his name. Very, mm. very like ridiculous, incredibly creative, and very kind of like surreal, postmodern, like just insane soundtrack. So it's the same cool. the same guy. The soundtrack is just absolutely delightful in the Neverhood, and it sounds like it's very similar in this one too. So if that was a high point for you, then you won't be disappointed with Armacrog, I think. Yeah, and if you get the deluxe edition for thirty two ninety nine, it that includes the soundtrack, or you can buy the soundtrack by itself for ten dollars. Mm-hmm. So that might be something worthwhile. And actually, I, I've I've started poking around, and and if you're on you know whatever streaming services, like I'm on Spotify, uh, you can you can probably you can find a bunch of these there too. Hmm. And that 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 all depends on how much you agree or disagree with uh, with streaming music. So. Oh sure. Well, better to stream it and give them a penny than something yeah to do something else and not give them the penny i guess absolutely all right next we have i guess it's a upper and a downer at the same time yeah uh there was a a recent update that came out for the uh for the space venture project so you said that uh uh star citizen was the the kickstarter that you funded the most uh space venture is actually the one that i funded the most mm. and so uh you know the game is is assuredly late I think it was supposed to come out when, like, 2013, I something like that? I think it's about three years late now, yeah. Yeah, so we're coming up on on three years late, and, you know, uh, there's been various reasons for that. But this last update has set uh, a release date, which is in 2016. I think, is it sub- November 2016, something like yeah, that? Yeah, they finally agreed upon a, a release date. I believe it was, yeah, I believe it is Q4 of next year. Yeah, so, and you know, that that wasn't super uh, enthusiastically received. Yeah, November 30th, 2016. So yeah, it wasn't super enthusiastically really received by the fan community because, well, it's over a year away. Yeah. But as you kind of get further into the update, you understand why uh, there's been a lot of, I guess, personal life stuff going on with uh with both of the the two guys from andromeda that uh you know hasn't been great there's been you know deaths and alzheimer's and cancer scares and and all kinds of stuff going on there Mm -hmm. so you know it's it's unfortunate that the game is delayed but i can't think of a more valid reason frankly yeah yeah no kidding i mean they're real people it's a small team it's a little kind of labor of love fan funded project they're taking their time. I, uh, I'm sure that most of the real fans would agree that they'd rather have a finished, polished, complete, stable game later than than a, a broken, buggy thing today. So, yeah, because I mean, they're really like from from the the art assets and the little you know gameplay stuff that has been released. I mean, this is a great looking game. They're not just kind of. I think they're. I, th- I believe they're using Unity, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. But uh, you know, this isn't like a an AGS thing or or whatever that this is like high res 3d kind of stuff so you know they're they're really in there and i know they've been working on a lot of uh and i think it says it it doesn't necessarily say it in the update but in a lot of the the conversation that's been going on around it it's not that 
no work has been happening on the game. There has been work going into the game every day by various people. It's just that it hasn't been a lot of the, you know, the humor stuff, the, the writing, a lot of that stuff has kind of fallen to the wayside because, you know, both of the two guys were pretty much, and I guess Scott Murphy's the, uh, the funny guy. Mm. And yeah, you know, with, with his situation, I guess with his mom and everything, it's kind of hard to be funny when, you know, your life isn't in a positive place. So, you know, I, I, I definitely understand that. And I would say overall, the reaction has been not as bad as I was expecting it to be. Yeah, I would hope not. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are people who show up because, you know, it's the internet and it's anonymity and people can be big jerks and people say, oh, you know, I get sick and I still have to go to work. It's like, well, no, not necessarily. If you're sick enough, you won't go to work. (laughs) So, you know, I I definitely I definitely get it. And, you know, I I will admit I'm pretty, uh, pretty involved in not as much as some, but I'm I'm fairly involved in, in the Space Quest fan community. It's kind of one of those communities that I've always been a tangential part of. Hmm. So like I think back in the 90s, I was I was a member of SpaceQuest.net and the Virtual Broom Closet. So I think I knew trolls and, you know, those other guys indirectly without knowing that I knew them mm-hmm. like 10 years ago. That's very cool. Yeah. And, it, and and then I came back to the whole thing when Space Venture came around and it kind of it, it, it pretty much coincided almost with me starting the show. Mm. It was about it was like. I think two months or so after I started doing the podcast that this Kickstarter released and it was kind of like, wow, this is incredible. I can't believe I had the show about this stuff. And yeah, cause I think I did space quest in episode five and in episode five, I talked about this, this new amazing Kickstarter that was coming out. So, you know, it's going to come out and the team is, is definitely, uh, is committed to it. But the thing that I would say in you know, in as much criticism as I'm going to give, I hope that moving forward, they're a little more open. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And not necessarily open with, oh, you know, like my wife's sick or, you know, or we're not feeling well, or I have this going on in my life, that stuff. I don't care about what I would like. My actually a really great example that I think people should follow is, uh, the Thimbleweed Park guys, kind of the, uh, they do a weekly a weekly stand up meeting podcast. It's about a ten minute podcast, where and I'll, God, their their names are totally escaping me now. Uh, Maniac Mansion guy, Ron Gilbert, yes. Is that yes. him, yeah, and Gary Winnick and uh, one of the other guys. They get on and they say each of them, you know, just a few minutes. This is what I did that this week. You know, oh, this week I worked on uh, backgrounds for these rooms and blah, blah, blah. Next week I will continue doing that. But then we may also do a demo playthrough to do bug fixes and like just, just mundane stuff like that, I think is really amazing just from a, a transparency perspective. Mm. You know, like when you, one of the guys is like, Oh, well I'm not going to get much done next week cause I'm moving. Oh, okay. And it's not that we deserve it or that you know, it's, Oh, we gave you money. So you have to tell us everything that's going on. But I think it's, it's cool. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful idea. Yeah, so, you know, hopefully, you know, they'll do something like that. Because, you know, these big polished updates that they've been putting out for Space Venture, it's cool, it's nice to say, oh, look, we have this really great big thing of content, and we have, like, a video of this scene, and here's a preview of this puzzle. And that's all well and good. And I'm not saying don't do that, but I think it's nice to know how things are rolling. 
Yeah, I think so too. That actually reminds me of something. I uh, there's a, a cartoonist from Toronto I really like. Her name is Kate Beaton, um, and she does a, cart- uh, a comic series called Hark a Vagrant. And she kind of mentioned in an interview lately that she likes to do kind of two kinds of comics. This is relevant, I promise. One oh, one fun. is her usual, like making fun of historical figures, sort of regular comic strips. But she also mm-hmm. likes to do every now and then a comic about her family and about herself and about her real life. And she does that to kind of bring her audience a little bit closer to herself and to remind people that she's not just some uh, product, but she's also a real person with these real like hopes and dreams and fears and tribulations and all of that kind of stuff. So I think that's exactly where you're coming from here, kind of encouraging uh, these folks, uh, the, the two guys from Andromeda and uh, the Space Pope and all of those folks, to just kind of bring us into their world a little bit, especially if uh, they'll be hanging on to our money for you know a total of four years past past uh, the uh, supposed launch date. Yeah, absolutely. I think just a little bit of of transparency there just to say, Hey, this is what's going on. We're not broke. We're not, everything, things are rolling forward and this is what's happening. So yeah, I think that's right. That being said, this most recent update on Kickstarter is update number 104. Yeah. Yeah. It's not to say that they haven't been putting out updates. They, they certainly have 30 a year or so. That's not too bad. That's like one every two weeks on average. Yeah. No, not quite, but well, they had a bunch kind of during the Kickstarter, and now it's kind of like every... It's been every month or two, I guess, hasn't it, lately? Yeah, I'd say every month or two. Yeah. Like they're, I think they're scheduled to be monthly, but they're not quite necessarily monthly. Right, so understandably so, now that they've been a little bit more open with us. But yeah, so you know, there, there's going to be a game. I'm very, I'm, I'm still excited for it, and you know, I'm glad that... Well, I'm not glad that certain things happen, but I'm glad that everyone's lives are starting to get back to normal and, and they can get on I'm track. I'm glad that their priorities are in the right place. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you got to exactly. take care of yourself to, to do a good job. So I'm glad they're doing that. Work first. is work and yeah, life is life and life is more. That's important. right. At least in my book. Yes, that's, that's the helpful All right, way. So, absolutely. So last but not least, uh, we have Video Game Story Bundle 7. So you put this in there. So why don't you uh, run us okay, through? Okay, you got it. Um, so I... I don't remember when I first learned about this. I guess it was a good two or three years ago. There's a kind of a humble bundle sort of a, a endeavor called Story Bundle, which is just like humble humble bundle. Get past humble get bundle. Get past my lips, <laughs> silly words, you. Uh, it's like humble bundle, but it is for books, like electronic uh, books. Uh, so the story bundle, uh, they, they often do different like genres of books. They do like horror and fiction and what have you. They've all, they've done nonfiction as well. That's right. And so for the seventh time now they've had a, they have a collection of video game related books. I bought some really terrific, uh, video game related books and they have novels and they have fiction and nonfiction, a, a good variety of stuff. Um, the one that really. Uh, the one that really uh, stands out to me here is one called Game Boy World 1989 by a guy named Jeremy Parrish, who is a favorite uh, games journalist of mine. I absolutely love his writing. He's extremely hyper-intelligent and absolutely adores console gaming, which I know isn't quite the focus of this show and isn't really some one of my interests right now. But as a, an owner of the original Game Boy um, and as a lover of this guy's writing. He's just such a good writer that I would read stuff that he wrote, even though I didn't know or even care about the subjects that he was writing. So uh, that one I'm looking forward to. Um, I think it's $12 or so if you want to get all seven books, eight books, thereabouts. So anyway, you can go to Story Bundle. There's eight books and one audio. Oh, there you go. 
And the, I think the audiobook is for one of the books that you get uh, in. Yes, Mona by Leigh Alexander and Emily Carroll. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Lee Alexander from Gamma Sutra and Emily Carroll. I, th- I don't know if she's a Torontonian comic artist as well, but she uh, worked on a game called The Yog, which was by a Torontonian oh. game designer by the name of Damien Summers, which is a great game, and she's an awesome, uh, an awesome cartoon comic book ar- artist. So I'm sure that's... God, you know way more about the, the Toronto... <laughs> scene than i do oh, being a, a an immigrant from montreal as i oh, am. I, I uh i got to meet damien summer it was it might have been the night that i brought my own text adventure game to bento miso the uh game uh the the game uh group work uh uh office space shared office space cool. kind of a place they have these regular game nights and i brought one night uh, this game that i had written for people to play and so did he he was almost finished this like board game style uh, local multiplayer game uh, so he was showing that around and while I was playing that with some people some other people were playing my game so I have kind of a personal connection with Damien Summers that was a awesome. yeah, good stuff so yeah uh, I, I've gotten tons of great enjoyment from uh, the story bundle they give DRM free versions of the books I don't know if they're PDF or what because the version that I usually opt for is the Amazon Kindle Versions. You can get both DRM free as well as Amazon Kindle versions, which will work on a Kindle reader or on a tablet or a phone or on your PC or anything with a web browser. Uh, and you can obviously cool. give some of the proceeds to charity as well. I'm actually interested in uh, in stay a while and listen. Oh, that's stay right. A while <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh, that was a very good uh, Sean Connery does uh, <laughs> does uh, pseudo crappy Sean Connery slash Decker. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is this is all about uh, Diablo. Or it's about Blizzard, I think. I think it's a history of Blizzard uh, in its early days. Well, it's uh, so yeah. Here it says, "Stay a while and listen." How two Blizzards unleashed Diablo and forged a video game empire. Yeah, so it seems like oh, it's there. it's the uh, the story of Blizzard and Blizzard North. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh well, I'd love to read that. One one of my guilty pleasures uh, in the not too distant past was Hellgate London, which uh-huh. was made by oh. Bill Roper and Max was it Max Schaefer and his brother something Schaefer I don't know they 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 were uh, part of the original Diablo team and I think they crashed and burned mm-hmm. because they were so spoiled with the huge budgets of Diablo games that they kind of mismanaged their funds or mismanaged their scope Right here it says Bill Roper and David Brevik but that might be Oh you might be thinking that's not the name of the someone else that worked on someone else that worked on the Could team be. This is just like the, the little Wikipedia square that they give you, so it just might be two uh, two out of many. All right. Well, yeah, it was it was a, a very big team, I think, that made the original Diablo or sizable anyway. Very talented people. Boy, do I love I love that game so much. Oh yeah, that was a phenomenally good one. So if you want the story of that and uh, a bunch of other good reading about uh, video games, then I highly recommend checking out the video game story bundle number seven. Actually, I should get my hands on this now. I haven't covered Diablo yet. This might be a good resource for uh, for the development. Oh story. yeah, I'm sure it will be. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of cool stuff here. I got something called Shooter Video War, which looks like it's a kind of an arcade. 1983. Yeah, so we're talking arcades in here. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. Yeah, you guys should definitely definitely check I it do out. I recommend it. All right, so I guess that's that. We got we got through our whole rundown. I here. guess so. Oh, there's one more bit of news, and that is that uh, a, a certain uh, podcast host does an eerily good impression of the Grand Nagus. <laughs> oh, do I? <laughs> that gave me such a good laugh in the car the other day. So, well, when I was like, "Quark!" <laughs> so that's the only. Pre- I can only do him yelling. Uh, but you do it well. <laughs> I love DS Nine. So too. 
wife too. <laughs> yeah, that's what one of my. We, we can get into a whole Star Trek conversation, but it's definitely it's it's my favorite series. I oh, think. that's great. Yeah, I think I think it's mine too. Just from a from a because I I love and maybe people get this from the show. I love story. I love character, and that kind of thing. And that is definitely the one that focuses the most on on the people. And it has the best kind of primary story that's introduced in the first episode and concludes with the last one. It's a great overarching story. Yeah, and that was a big experiment because, you know, like, you know, TNG and obviously original series was it was a product of the time. You know, we didn't have DVRs. We didn't have DVD collections. We didn't have anything like that. So you couldn't really reference. You had to be able every show had to be self-contained because right. you might miss 10 of them and then see one. And then TNG was sort of in that same vein. And then with DS9, they kind of went into, well, let's let's try and tell a story here. And then they kind of went from there. That's right. I don't know if it worked so, very well for them. I don't know if it was the most popular by any probably stretch. Probably not. But it worked but, for me. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's definitely one of those ones that if you if you didn't really love it at the time, because I know some people couldn't get past, uh, what was that one in season one? I'll move along home. <laughs> oh, which one was that? That's the one where they get shoved into the... Uh, that weird game. Oh yeah, that's right. The With the weird aliens that are that like, stuff. yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of people kind of gave up at that episode. Oh, you're I kind of like that one. I thought it was dumb, but I watched it. I, and I, I didn't, I didn't think twice about it, but some people were like, I saw that. And this said, this isn't Star Trek. This is silliness. And I'm not going to watch this show oh, anymore. So. They're lost. <laughs> but, but if you, if you haven't definitely, and, and you're, you know, at all interested in sci-fi and Star Trek and you haven't given DS nine a chance, you should, because it is genius, especially once you get closer to the end. Yes, I will second that. Because things just, absolutely. So, that is great, and uh, well, Brian, thanks thanks so much for coming out. I think I, I think we did all right here. This is this was a good experiment. Oh, I hope so. It was a real pleasure to talk to you again, and uh, I'm, I really appreciate the invitation onto your fantastic show, so thanks a bunch. I'm, I'm a lifelong fan. Oh, well, thank you very much, and, and of course, like you said at the beginning, uh, if, if you guys like this show, then you will probably like Brian's show, so go check out the Square Waves FM podcast at, I believe it's what, squarefm.demodulated.com, that's what you, you said? Thank you very kindly. Or, or you can find it on your in your podcast directory, and right. as usual, let me scroll down to the bottom of my notes over here so I can go through the stuff. Next time, we are still talking System Shock. I've been having a ton of fun going through the game and uh, being very poor at it and having a bunch of people tell me all the things I'm doing wrong. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a very interesting one and I'm, I'm, I'm sad that I've only started, I've only played System Shock now. <laughs> wow. I'm going to have to get into that. Yeah. I, I couldn't play it uh, in its original form. I, I'll, I'll look forward the to your review and your show anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's a little teaser. The controls are still not perfect, but they're better. Okay, that's good. That's that's what kept me out of so, it. Yeah, it's 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 a challenge, but once you get used to it, you get used to it. So if, let's look forward to that in uh, in a week or two. I got. I also need to go through System Shock too. So <laughs> they're they're big games. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so as always, send email or audio comments to podcastumbcast.com. And uh, yeah, we can. You guys know all the rest of that stuff. So you know, find us on all the places and reviews and all that noise so that is that and we will see you next time for system shock here in the upper memory block battle control terminated you've been listening to the upper memory block podcast with joe mastroianni for more information on the podcast visit 
umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join the